Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in a series called All In. Everyone say All In. All In. If you have a bulletin, there's an outline inside your bulletin. And uh, Dean, the slides are not cooperating. Okay, no worries. You guys advance them for me then, if you would. Um, we are going to be looking at several different scriptures today. Sometimes when we go through the Bible, we're going to go through books of the Bible, and we'll go through them verse by verse. We most recently went through the book of Ephesians, and we went verse by verse through Ephesians, and we isolated themes that were in the book of Ephesians. We also looked at the different truths that Paul was explaining to the church of Ephesus. What we've been doing in this series is a little bit different when we looked at all in. What we're doing is we're looking at overall themes in the Bible that God has uh, portrayed for us. And so there's notes in your uh, bulletins. You can also go to the Bible app and you can follow along there as well. As you do, if you have your actual Bibles with you, go to Romans chapter 3 this morning as we get started. Romans chapter number 3. In the early, uh, early part of the, or the 60s and the 70s, UCLA had a coach named John Wooden. And John Wooden is uh, largely considered the greatest basketball coach, at least on the college level of all time. And every year he would take his players, new recruits, old recruits, and back then freshmen didn't play. Freshmen had to earn their spot on their basketball teams. And so freshmen weren't allowed to play on the, they were allowed to practice, but you couldn't ever get into a game. John Wooden had lots of rules that, would, that were designed to uh, bring people together on the same page, but also to teach them uh, valuable lessons about character and teamwork and integrity. One of the things he would do is during the first practice of uh, the, the offseason for college basketball, and all of the freshmen were there and all the seniors were there, all the ones that were getting ready to go to the pros, at that one practice at the very beginning of the year, he would teach them, of all things, how to tie their shoes. And you know where he would start? He wouldn't start with the shoe. He'd start with your sock. You know I love socks, so I might as well show you what I got on today. I got some good multicolored. He would start with the socks. He would take the socks out, and he would explain how the sock was designed, and he'd put the sock on, and he would say it's really important that you get the I'm going to see if I can do this while I'm one foot. That the toes are right in place because if they're not in, in the fourth quarter of a game and all of a sudden you get a blister because your sock isn't on properly, that not only affects your ability to perform, but it affects the team's ability to form. And all of a sudden, we might lose an opportunity in a game all because you didn't know how to put your sock on. He'd go on and put on the shoe and he'd explain how tight the laces should be. And if they're too tight, that your, your, your feet would be throbbing by the end of the game. But if they're too loose, there'd be too much movement and you could uh, twist an ankle. He would go through and he would explain to 18 to 22-year-old young men how to tie their shoes. It was important to John because, first of all, it was important to get the fundamentals right because there will be a moment in the game, there will be a crisis in the game where the last thing you want to worry about is if your shoes are on properly. And so as we've been looking at this series called All In, what we've been trying to do is we're trying to set the fundamental expectations of what our church is about. We're doing this so that if we take enough time to do so and we look at these overarching um, 
themes that Scripture provides, it will give us a moment so that when there is a crisis in our church's life or a crisis in our community, we can go back and say, well, this is what our church is about. This is what God says the church is about. Therefore, this is how we will respond. It's really difficult to make those decisions in moments of crisis or moments in difficulty or moments of grief when you have not set the expectations forward. So this is what we're doing. We're taking the time to do so. So the very first thing in your notes is what our, uh, what our church is about. Our church is about this. We will be a church that lives out an authentic faith, develops healthy and strong relationships, and gives every person the opportunity to meet Jesus. As you look at this statement, you're going to notice there's two values and there's one mission. The first value is this idea of authentic faith. When you look at authentic faith, that means this. We want to be a church that doesn't just go to church, but we are the church. We want to develop healthy and strong relationships, and we want to give every person the opportunity to meet Jesus. So as we have begun, we have kind of told ourselves this. We've reminded ourselves of some things. First of all, the church is not a building, it's a body, right? That means we don't, we're not located at 432 Southeast Kane. We're not right across the street from the courthouse. We are wherever you are. If you're at Fred Myers, guess where the church gets to show up? Yeah, if you, are, uh, if you are at work, guess where our church is? When you guys start going back to school, how many parents are ready for the kids to go back to school? When the parents are, uh, when, when, you, when the parents are at home, guess where the church is at? They're at home without the kids. When the kids are at church, that's where the church, uh, we are the church. It's not a building, it's a body. Uh, similarly, we've said it's not an organization, it's an organism. It's a living, breathing thing, the church is. And so just like anything, the church can become unhealthy or healthy. Unhealthy or healthy. I would submit to you this morning, healthy churches are made up of healthy members. Now what's interesting to me is this, uh, we may be alive, every single one of us are alive. Check the person next to you, check their pulse if they're part of your family. Every person here is alive. But does that mean you're healthy? Does just the fact that you're alive mean that you're healthy? No. There are other factors involved. We should probably start there, though, right? We should probably start there. If we are first alive, then what other factors are there for us to be healthy? We have people trained in science and, and doctors and nurses and other medical professionals. And what, they, what, they, what do they do in a appointment to determine your health they run tests don't they they ask questions they do an inventory of sorts they make sure your blood is uh is is showing all the markers that it needs to they identify standards and then they ask themselves does this person do the answers to these questions do the results to these tests measure up to the standard of what we consider healthy and so when it comes to churches being being alive is just not enough. It's not our enough for our church to be alive. It's important that we thrive, that we are healthy. So healthy churches are made up of healthy members. For a few moments today, we're just going to look at three marks of what a healthy member looks like. Now, when we do this, these are not the only marks of health, but these are the first three that we're going to identify. Healthy churches are made up of healthy members. First of all, healthy members 
have accepted Jesus Christ. Healthy members have accepted Jesus Christ. Um, as long as this church is alive, we're going to be a church that preaches Scripture and that lifts high the name of Jesus. Now, what does it mean to accept Christ? I think we need to have a fundamental uh, understanding of what Scripture means to, to follow Jesus. Um, we live in a, country, in a county uh, that many people would proclaim the name of Jesus. Many people would. But what does it truly mean to embrace Jesus, to accept him, to embrace the truth of the gospel, and then to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I submit to you, it's not enough to have a bumper sticker on your car. It's not enough to have the American flag outside your house. It's not enough to have any of these exterior markers that have nothing to do with what's happened on the inside. There needs to be something that has transpired um, that, that reflects an embrace and an acceptance of who Jesus is. So here's four quick truths you have to embrace to accept who Jesus is. First truth is this, the Bible teaches us that we are sinners. We are sinners. It's interesting because when we have this conversation with people, this is kind of uncomfortable. It could kind of make you feel just a little icky to recognize, to embrace the fact that we're sinners. I want you to look at some scriptures with me. Romans 3 and verse 10. Romans chapter 3 says this, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Later in Romans, Paul says this, all have sinned and come short, fallen short of the glory of God. It's important to recognize that the reason that we embrace who Jesus is, is because we ourselves need a Savior. Both Chloe and Kyron, when we talked to them earlier this week and in previous conversations, they both had a recognition and understanding, even at a young age, that there's something that is needed in their life that only Jesus can provide. Not only our uh, first truth that we need to embrace is that we're sinners, but that also sin has a price. The Bible teaches this. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Part of the understanding that comes with our sin nature is understanding that our sin creates a separation between us and God. Between us and God. And because there's that separation, the gift of God is this, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're sinners then. Sinners, sin has this price. Aren't you glad for truth three that Jesus Christ paid the price for us? Here's two scriptures uh, from one from John 14 says this, Jesus answered and said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says later in Romans, Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians puts it this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There was a price that came with sin, and Jesus Christ paid that price for us. And so truth number four is this, salvation is a free gift that must be received. It must be received. I think this is probably one of the great misunderstandings in our faith is just because that you know that Jesus Christ was perfect, just because you know that there is sin in your life, 
That is not enough to become a child of God. In fact, we said it a couple of weeks ago that every person was created by God, but not every person is a child of God. And so the scripture is very clear that salvation must be received. Uh, we start in John chapter 1, says this, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In Acts chapter 16, there's a conversation and, um, between, uh, between, I believe this is Paul and Silas, and the men that they were with says this, he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31 says this, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Romans goes on to say it this way, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You say, Daniel, we kind of know all of this. Why would we go and review this? We want to make sure that in the moments of your life where you doubt who Jesus is or you doubt your faith, that you have the scriptural foundation to go back and say, oh yeah, this is what I believe. This is who Jesus is. I am a child of God. You'd be surprised how many times I talk to people and um, the, the things they doubt the most is this. If God really loves me, then why? If God really loves me, then why is my marriage on the brinks? If God really loves me, then why has this person left me? Um, Often the scenario is this, if, if God loves me, then why is there so much evil in the world? If God loves me, then why is there so much bad or so much uh, difficulty I must deal with? And it's important for us to have lives of authentic faith, which means this. You don't hear those verses just on Sunday, but you remind those truths all the time. Um, healthy churches are made up of healthy members. Healthy members are first people who have accepted Jesus Christ. If you're following in your notes, secondly, healthy members have been baptized to identify with Jesus Christ and his followers. Um, so this is not an optional ritual that we uh, have the option of delaying or postponing. This signifies our inclusion in God's family. We said a couple of weeks ago, we're called to not only believe, but also to belong. And so your baptism declares your faith. It shares Jesus' burial and resurrection but it symbolizes also your death to your old life and it announces your life in Jesus Christ. It's a celebration of your inclusion in God's family. In Acts chapter 8, there's a story between Philip and a eunuch and he's going through and he's walking him through what it means. Uh, the eunuch is reading the scripture that he has access to and he just doesn't quite understand it. And so Philip explains to him the gospel, explains to him who Jesus is and explains the scripture in a way that he can understand it and then Philip, it says here in verse 35, Philip opened with his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said this in verse 30, I believe it's 38. He says this, he commanded the chariot to stop. They were going along the road, they came to their water and said, see here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? So then he commands the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Here's the condition for baptism. Do you believe? That's the only condition for baptism. Do you believe? And if you believe, the scriptural imperative is this, 
that you get baptized. Now, we have, um, we have complicated this discussion and talked about everything else, but really the only condition for baptism is that you believe. I love that in the New Testament, when someone believes in Jesus Christ, they just get baptized. It's literally the first thing that they do. Acts chapter 2, they that gladly received his word were then baptized. No one in scripture does anyone ever argue about baptism. No one in scripture ever says, well, I just, um, I need to wait a little bit till my family is comfortable with the idea of me getting baptized. Nowhere in scripture is there this delay or this pause to consider. If you believe, you're to be baptized. Mark 16 says it this way, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so part of being a healthy member is this, accepting Jesus Christ, being baptized. But then third, this is where we're going to spend uh, just a few moments, is this, healthy members are committed to a local gathering of followers of Jesus Christ. I believe healthy members are committed to a local gathering of followers of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians says it this way, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Last week, we talked about being a part of a church uh, gives you a place to belong, and we gave you several different reasons on why you should consider belonging to a local group of, of followers of Jesus Christ. In my enthusiasm, I'm going I'm to be honest, I, I feel like, um, um, I feel like I might have just went a little too far on one part of what I said. So I want you to hear me. Uh, last week I said something along the lines of this. I said that if, you, um, if you're attending our church and you haven't yet made a commitment to our church, that at some point you should decide and maybe even find another church to attend because I believe every person should commit to a local gathering of people. What I mean by that is this. You are called to belong to a local group of believers. You're just called to. Scripture is very clear about this. And if you need time to figure out what that means for you and your family, we hope this is a safe place for you to do that. We hope this is a place, safe place for you to attend. And we honor your, uh, your time it takes for you to come to that commitment. Oftentimes I will speak on a subject and your life may not be in line to make a decision right when that subject is addressed in church. And so I just want to tell you that from as your pastor, as I've had the opportunity to talk to a few people from last Sunday and talk about this particular subject, I want to affirm your place to attend a church, to be safe for as long as necessary. But I also want to remind you this. God asks you to belong to a certain, to a local group of people. 1 Corinthians is very clear about it. You're a part of the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. And what ends up happening when we deny the Holy Spirit's call in our life is it will cost you down the road. And if the Holy Spirit hasn't given you that peace and that affirmation, by all means, take the time that's necessary. Last week, we talked about several reasons that you should belong. It identifies you as a genuine believer. It helps you live in harmony with others. It helps you grow. It keeps you from being distant from God. And once you're a member, there are these different ways for you to uh, contribute to the local body. Healthy churches are made up of what? Healthy members. Say it with me. Healthy churches are made up of what? Healthy members. 
Uh, go to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. Hebrews chapter 10. We're talking about this idea of being committed to a local gathering of followers of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 asks us to consider this. He says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So as a church family, there's three different ways that you can commit to a local gathering. The first is what you're already doing this morning is to attend regularly. Uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the old time preacher said this, Satan hates when Christians get together. So his policy is to keep them apart. Satan hates to keep people together. So his policy is to keep them apart we are called to gather. We are called to gather as a group of believers. In fact, if we never ever gathered, we would never be considered a gathering. God has saved us as individuals to be part of a gathering of followers of Jesus Christ. The word in the Greek New translation of the Old Testament for assembly is this word ekklesia. It's the same word the New Testament writers use to refer to the local church, and it identifies people that are gathering together. Um, gathering together in the New Testament was a distinct event. Um, and when people gathered together, there were certain things they did together physically with one another. They taught and encouraged one another. They sang psalms together. They sang hymns and spiritual songs. They read scriptures publicly together. Uh, they shared the Lord's Supper together. And these cannot happen in a vacuum. And while it's true that many of these things can happen in smaller gatherings in our home, they first and foremost belong to the main gathering of local believers. Um, if you're watching online today and you're not attending due to health concerns, please understand we understand and we affirm your decision. Uh, we hope and pray that that's not a long-term situation for you and your family. And that when health allows you to, that you'll be able to gather once again with us. It becomes very easy for us to misunderstand the gathering of believers under our current circumstances. I was talking to someone this morning right before church, and we were having a conversation. And one of the things that uh, was said was, if I'm being honest, it's easier for me not to be here on Sundays. And that's a hard place to be in. It's a hard place when we have all sorts of information that help us make decisions on how we should gather and the guidelines that we should observe while we gather. And again, if you're not attending due to health concerns, we understand and affirm your decision. If you're attending online because it's easier, I'd ask you to make the hard decision then to join us in person. Attending regularly um, to come alongside one another in a safe distance physically allows us to encourage one another that is simply lost when we choose not to do so. One of the hardest things about 2020 was Darren and I did not go to a school that taught Quarantine 101. There was no pandemic 201 that we attended that said, this is how you 
handle a worldwide pandemic. There was not a class that walked us through. Um, I don't even know what the class would be called to walk us through, Darren. Worldwide pandemic, uh, racial injustice, um, polarizing election, massive unemployment, economic decline, all of those things in a one eight-month period, 10-month period. So we have tried our very best to make decisions that would help us gather safely, to gather regularly. The hardest Sundays, um, <laughs> uh, Facebook is, 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 you fill in the blank there, but it's just, you know, it just is. And a few weeks ago, uh, I started, or a few months ago, I should say, we're in September. A few months ago, we started getting memories of what our services looked like a year ago. We were gathering in our kids' classroom, trying to put on a service. In December, we shut down again because we felt like it was the right thing to do for four or five, six weeks. And the one thing I just remember what I got those memories was it was just so hard for us not to gather and to be physically in the same space. So we're going to try to make decisions in the next upcoming weeks and upcoming months that honor our ability to gather. But you should know that if you need to make a decision that honors both your health and your family, and it means that you can't attend for a period of time, we want to understand and affirm that decision. We want to give you liberty to make that decision. We would love for you to let us in on that. Let us pray for you during that decision as you do so, so we can kind of understand what your specific um, difficulty is right now. Um, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but... Um, we, um, and this is dangerous, right? Good night. Um, this is a really, really hard time for Libby and I because of her newfound schedule. She's on th her third 12-hour shift uh, at the hospital right now. Um, and it's just a lot of pressure. It's a lot of tension. It's a lot of stress. And the last thing we want to do is when she gets home is to go out and be around people. <laughs> it's the last thing we want to do but we both recognize the need to gather as a church. So we're going to try to balance that scriptural imperative with the realities of our life. I want you to make good, responsible decisions. I also want to help pray with you and love you through those decisions. So please understand when I tell you that part of the committing is to commit to attend regularly. I do not say it with uh, any callousness. I don't say it without any understanding. I say it as a scriptural imperative. This is something we've taken so granted, so, so for granted for so long that we now to need to return back to what does it provide us when we do attend regularly. I think the other thing that scripture encourages us to do is not only just to attend regularly, but it also encourages us to give generously. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 9 and help me out with this verse. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 11 says this, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I want you to read that verse aloud with me. Ready, begin. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. According to this verse, as you look at this, why has God blessed you? 
If you look at this verse, why has God blessed you according to this verse? So look at that very first part of that verse. You will be enriched in every way. That word enriched, Paul is painting a picture of your life receiving blessing in every way. And then he explains why. So that why. You can be generous on every occasion. God doesn't bless us so that we can be greedy. God blesses us so we can be generous. Part of our generosity is just reaching out to people and letting them know we loved. Part of our mission is to give every person the opportunity to meet Jesus. In your bulletin, there's an opportunity for you to be generous and also thoughtful. We are going to do a $5 gift card drive. How many of you read the article already in the bulletin? What we're going to do is we're going to grab $5 gift cards from your favorite coffee shop or smoothie shop. Uh, by vote, where's your favorite coffee shop? I'm just curious. I, I love that place. It's a good one. Java runs your favorite. I like Human Bean. There's plenty of other ones. Cascades is nice. Starbucks and Dutch Brothers serve our community well. Grab a $5 gift card. Buy one, buy 100, buy as many as you can, and bring them to the church office. Put them in the offering boxes if you have them next Sunday. We're going to collect them for the next two or three weeks. There's a date in there. Uh, we'd like you to bring those back in. We're going to take those cards and we're going to stuff them into handwritten notes. And so I would encourage you and your children to write out some handwritten notes and uh, write them to med medical professionals in our community. Tell them you love them. Tell them that we as a church are praying for them. Maybe include a picture from the kids if they want to draw a picture. Maybe include a verse that means something special to you in it. We're going to take those cards and take those uh, gift cards and then we're going to call Mercy and find an appropriate department um, maybe in the ER or maybe in the PCU unit or the ICU unit. And we're just going to bless medical professionals that are serving us. Why? Because this verse tells us that we have been enriched in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. We're going to do that for the next two or three weeks. The next verse says this, verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. As you are generous to the people around you, it is an expression of thanksgiving to God. So if you are grateful to God, you will be generous to others. Now the opposite of that is true as well. If you can look at your life and realize that you have not been generous to God, then it's a good opportunity to be grateful to Him. That's how you fix your generosity. Your generosity to people will be a reflection of your gratitude towards God. Do you ever uh, known someone, or maybe you wanted to be a joyful person? And if you're just being honest, you're not. <laughs> you're just not. You have a lot of cares and worries in your life, and it doesn't seem possible for you to be a, a joy-filled person. That's what joyful means. You're filled with joy. This is how you become a joyful person. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. Acts chapter 20, you're going to see a very familiar phrase here. Acts 20 and verse 35 says this, and everything I did, I showed you by, by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. Say those words with me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now here's the thing. I really like this verse because it's honest. It's not saying that receiving is not blessed. 
In fact, it's acknowledging it. Because I like receiving gifts. The socks I'm wearing today were a gift. I like getting gifts. I like receiving them. It gives me a measure of joy. It gives me a measure of the joy that fills my heart. What this verse is saying is the joy that you feel when you do receive, it's way more blessed to give than to receive. This is joy filled. This is what it looks like to be joyful. God wants us as individuals and churches to be more generous because it makes it more like him. So we're called to commit. We're called to attend regularly. We're called to give generously. And then thirdly, this morning, we're called to serve unselfishly. Church, you were put on earth to make a contribution. You were put on earth to make a contribution. Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. And then verse 10 says this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Church, we were not created just to consume resources, to eat, to breathe, and to take up space. And oftentimes I feel like we look at the Sunday morning gathering and I understand because the nature of it, because there's only a few people with microphones and most everyone else is sitting. But if we're not careful, we'll, we'll, we'll view the Sunday morning gathering as like going to a restaurant and we get to get served. And we really hope we have a good waiter. And we hope the guy prepared the meal correctly. And we hope it ends with a sweet finish. And then we tip, and then we leave the gathering. And if we're not careful, that attitude of consumerism will kind of mess with your relationship with God. You were made to make a contribution. You were put on this earth to make a contribution. You were created to serve. And while many best-selling books offer advice on how to get the most out of life, that is not why God put us here. He put us to know him and then to take what he has gifted us and to serve others unselfishly. And we don't serve out of guilt or fear or even duty, but because of joy, deep, grateful joy. The last verse in your outline there is Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where Paul encourages the, the followers of Jesus Christ in Rome. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. We're healed to help others heal. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. We're saved not only to just sit around, but to serve. And he leaves us here to fulfill his purpose. Um, the, the news in Afghanistan has kind of really messed, uh, has kind of wrecked my heart and my mind as I've kind of tried to dug, dig deep and understand what it was like for um, Afghan women and children there in Afghanistan. And in my reading and trying to fill my, not, my head with some knowledge and some perspective so I understood how to pray for that country, I began doing some reading on the underground uh, churches. And church where uh, being a Christian is outlawed. That's such a foreign idea to us, isn't it? that our faith would ever be banished from being legal. 
Steve Wicker's wearing a shirt today, and it just kind of, it's weird how God aligns all these things, and it's, a, it's, a, it's the Farsi character for the letter N. And what they would do in some Islamic countries is if you identified with Jesus the Nazarene, you, they would graffiti the character N on your homes and your businesses to out you from the rest of the community. I was reading about China and some of the things that the church in China has to endure underground. Later this year in November, we're going to have uh, a speaker come, uh, Ravi Kumar's uh, from India. He actually sounds like he's from India, though, so it'll be way better. Um, he's going to talk about what the persecuted church in India looks like right now. The first Sunday in First Sunday in November is um, International Day of Persecution or the Persecuted Church, and we'll have some prayer booklets for you to have and to pray specifically for uh, people around the world that don't get to enjoy the freedoms we do, uh, we do with our faith. As I was doing some reading about the underground church in China, one of the stories I came across is one of the ways they would welcome new believers to their church, their underground church, is they would say this phrase, welcome so-and-so. Jesus now has a new pair of eyes to see with. He has now a new set of ears to listen with, new sets of hands to help with, and a new heart to love others with. Healthy churches are made up of healthy members. You know what happens when one part of my body fails to function? The body gets sick. The body gets sick and then the rest of our body suffers. This is what happens when we willingly relinquish one of these three roles in our life. When we fail to understand how it affects the whole body of Christ, well then we don't really understand that we are the body together. We are contributors. We will not stand on the sidelines and watch. We will engage. We will attend regularly when it is safe and appropriate to do so. When it's, when it's available to do so, we will gather. We'll give generously. Because while we give generously, it reflects a great, great, grateful heart. And when we are generous, it allows us the opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. We will sacrifice and we will not be consumers, but we will serve unselfishly. We will do life together. By God's grace, we will be a church. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.